Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. known fact about my guest today. He's an actor and political activist, but now he's running for office. He's running to be the city council member for District 6 in New York City. And if in fact he wins, he will be the first elected official of Japanese American descent. Welcome Jeffrey O'Mara to the podcast. A-okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is actor, activist, and labor organizer, Jeffrey O'Mara. Jeffrey has an extensive career in the theater, but began his shift into a political career with leadership roles in the Actors' Equity Union, among others. Currently, he is running for the New York City Council for District 6, which is the Upper West Side area of New York City, for those of you who are listening and don't live in New York. And his message centers on the importance of art advocacy and community building, among many other topics. And today we're going to talk about this and so much more. And I'm so thrilled to welcome Jeffrey to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. First off, I want to apologize for keeping you waiting. I was a little bit late uh, this afternoon because I was out in the neighborhood talking to small business owners. And that has been one of my signature issues. I want to make sure we are supporting our small businesses on the Upper West Side because we have row after row of vacant storefronts. Uh, so I was out talking to them, hearing their stories of, of, of what they've experienced over this past year during this pandemic um, and made some, made some good uh, connections and relationships there. We've got five campaign posters up uh, in the neighborhood. That is amazing. I want to talk about, you know, a lot of people dream of, of changing lanes and pivoting from an original concept of their future professional lives, uh, but, but feel really scared to do that and feel like, oh, wait, if I move into this lane, I'm giving up my dream of being a performer. And I think you have been such a, a role model in showing people how you can remain a creative person and an artist and still use your voice as a megaphone for other people who, who you want to help and be a voice for. Um, I also want to point out and tell me if this is wrong, that if you win, you'll be the first Japanese American to hold this position. 
the first Japanese American elected to office in New York State. Okay, uh, that's we've been here. We've been here for yeah. 150 years. Yeah, it's time, people. And what what is the population of Japanese Americans in New York State? Do you know approximately the numbers? In New York State, I I don't know. It's um it's one of the smaller Asian diasporas in New York City. Um, Chinese, Filipino, and Korean Americans have a much larger presence in New York City. Um, you know, they have their own neighborhoods. Even Japanese Americans have a very different history with New York City that I'm still learning about myself. Uh, but you know, after World War II, um, a- after going through the trauma of Japanese internment and you know, anti-Japanese sentiment, the Japanese spread out and did everything they could to blend in. They didn't want, you know, they didn't create their own neighborhoods because that, you know, it would make them a target. Mm. Uh, so they, they blended in and then, you know, the, the Chinese, Filipinos and Koreans came, came later after World War II um, in, in a very different uh, environment for, for Asian Americans. But now as we're experiencing um, this rise of anti-Asian hate crimes that is absolutely terrifying. I, you know, we, we've never experienced anything like this in my lifetime. Uh, and there's a long history of anti-Asian violence in this country, but I've never personally had to deal with it. Anti-Asian sentiment, sure. Violence, no. That, that's new for me. Uh, so with this election, it's, it provides a major opportunity for the entire Asian American community in New York City to come together, uh, maybe for the first time. We're so split up. It's such a, a diverse community that uh, this, this really scary uh, ex, you know, experience that we're all going through is a reason to come together and to advocate for the community together. Um, and it also gives us an opportunity to elect Asian Americans to the city council um, and when, you know, at a time when representation really matters. Um, you are an actor, a beloved actor. My friends, Judy Kuhn and Celia Keenan-Bolger and Ryan Haddad are the people who brought awareness of you to me because I don't live on the Upper West Side and I don't follow city council elections. Um, but I did get to know your face, uh, even if I didn't know all about you when the Be an Arts Hero program started out um, and Fair Wage when when Off-Broadway theaters came together and in part because of your leadership, artists, workers, Off-Broadway started to get paid properly because of your voice. So you have been so skilled at taking an idea and making it happen. So by the way, you're going to win. I want to start by saying (laughs) you're going to win because you deserve it and you've been working really hard for this. What what was the spark? What lit the match to to with fair wage? Maybe was that the beginning of your moving into this new role? Yeah, yeah you know, I've I've always been involved in politics. I've always followed it very closely, um, and you know, since I, I think the the John Kerry campaign in two thousand four was my first time getting out in the field and talking to voters on behalf of a candidate, and it, I discovered it's something that I re- was really passionate about. Uh, and so every election since then, I've, I've done what I could to get involved. I, um, in, you know, in 2008, when Barack Obama was running, I knew we had to do everything we could to get George Bush out of office. And so I went to Michigan, spent the month of October in Michigan, doing nothing but knocking on doors for Barack Obama. And of course, we, uh, we, uh, and you did it. we won Michigan. 
<laughs> we won Michigan. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. You know, if, if if I'm taking credit for the wins, I also have to have to share responsibility in the losses. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that I did not personally do enough in 2016 to make sure that Hillary Clinton won that election. And I think a lot of people felt that after that feeling of, oh, we could have done more. It didn't have to turn out this way. I, I certainly felt that, felt a lot of guilt about it. Mm-hmm. And that just happened to be the same time that Fair Wage on Stage was beginning to organize the off-Broadway theater community here in New York. Mm -hmm. And so after that very traumatic uh, loss at the presidential level, just days later, we we, we got the results of this off-Broadway negotiation between Actors' Equity and the Off-Broadway League. And we were, you know, we had organized the whole off-Broadway theater community to sign petitions and make video testimonials, uh, talking about the, the sacrifices that that actors and stage managers had to make in in their in their careers as professionals in in the theater industry. Uh, and that campaign gave the union leverage at the negotiating table to demand some real wage increases. And that year, we got between 35 and 83% wage increases, which broke every record in our union's history. And that, that, came, that was announced just days after Donald Trump won the presidency. And that moment for me, that the, the announcement of that win was of the the Fair Wage on Stage Actors' Equity win was the moment I realized what was possible, what could be done through organizing, through bringing people together around a common campaign, through through creating a movement uh, to create some real change. Um, So I was hooked as a labor organizer and I ran for a seat on Actors' Equity's National Council the next year and I was elected. Uh, And just this past year, I was reelected to a second term. Uh, But when the pandemic hit, you know, it shut down our whole industry. And everyone I know has been unemployed for a year. And summer of 2020, we're we're sitting at home and I'm talking to my my colleagues on Zoom and we're thinking, what are we going to do about this? And we, we knew at the time that the U.S. Senate was negotiating the HEROES Act. And it was going to be the next, uh, the next big stimulus package for the whole country. And at the time, it looked like the arts sector was going to get left out of that bill. So it, what we were told at the time was that it was going to be voted on in a week. And we had one week to organize the national arts community to collectively lobby Congress for direct arts relief. So we scrambled. And I think it may have been, I can't remember if it was the next day, maybe two days later, we contacted everyone we knew, not just in the theater world, but in music and dance and and museums and said, we need you on this Zoom call Uh, in all 50 states. Everyone who works in the arts industry needs to be on the Zoom call. Uh, And we, we, we gave them the manifesto basically, which was, we need to get together, we need to organize, we need to go to Congress and we need to get this money because no one else is gonna get it for us. And it turns out it was not voted on the next week because Mitch McConnell delayed the vote and delayed it and delayed it. But that gave us time. Right. And our organizers, the Be an Arts Hero organizers, sat down with over 60 U.S. Senate offices with a simple message. This is how many jobs are created in your state because of the arts. 
And this is the, the exact economic impact of the arts in your state. And when, when we could talk about it that specifically, suddenly both Democrats and Republicans were starting to realize, oh, the arts is not this thing that we get to if we have extra time and money left over. It is an essential part of our economy. Mm -hmm. And America does not recover without the arts. And in December, when they finally voted on that package, we got $15 billion of direct arts relief. What does that, so I hear that. How does that number, and it's a number for the entire country, how does that turn into a check in a bank account of a specific person or institution? What, what does that really mean? Right, so up until that moment, all of our arts institutions uh, were, were relying solely on PPP loans to get by. Uh, we, you know, with, with, with most other funding dried up and certainly mm -hmm. box office sales completely eliminated, uh, our arts institutions were really struggling. So they, they were getting by through PPP loans. What this $15 billion did was create a new program through the Small Business Administration that was ad, uh, administered solely for arts organizations to access. Not individuals, organizations. Exactly, not individuals. And that's a very important distinction because it was, it's called the Save Our Stages program. And it was sponsored by uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, which we are grateful for. So that $15 billion goes to save the stages, the venues, but not necessarily to help the arts workers who have been unemployed for a year. Right. Hopefully it keeps those venues open for when it is safe to go back in. Exactly. But it doesn't fund people's lives until then, individuals' right. lives. Right. Right, right, right. Um, I, I imagine it does go to help um, the arts administrators who are mm -hmm. working behind the scenes, uh, but not the staffers uh, of those institutions. Exactly. Who are, right. who are, who are arts workers Absolutely, and uh, an essential part of the arts economy, um, but not to the actors, writers, directors, stage managers, technicians, everybody. Stage. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, you know, as, as the Fed, that's the federal program, but then also on the state level, Governor Cuomo announced the reopening of New York's arts economy with these pop-up shows around the state, which is, um, which was, is great. It'll get people talking and thinking about the arts again, but again, it's, you know, the celebrities are not the ones who, who have been hurting over the last year. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of arts workers in New York state alone who have been out of work for the last year. And those are the ones who need the funding to, to, to get back to work. And generally those are not the people being asked to do shows at these pop-up theaters right now. That may not remain true, but mostly it's names that people recognize because that's a draw. Right. And so the, the arts workers, the unions were not involved in, in those discussions of what is this program going to look like? Um, will there will there be living wages paid? Will there be workers' comp involved? All of these essential things that workers need to to, to work in the middle of a pandemic, especially. Um, so so my goal, as you know, if if I'm elected, is to bring that perspective into the conversation to not only represent the arts industry, but to make sure that workers are taken care of. That, that workers are at the forefront of, of every decision that, that's being made. Uh, 
what is the what are what's the geography of the district you're running for literally like from what street to like because i know the upper west side is home to probably more artists and art workers in 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 of all the five boroughs it probably has a really intense population um that's, is that true? Uh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I discovered that after I announced and we started researching and found out the Upper West Side is home to more artists than any other neighborhood in New York City. And probably more people who go to support theater and the arts than any other neighborhood exactly. in New York City, traditionally. Exactly. Uh, so what so, are your streets? Like what would be what would be your neighborhood that, that you would run as as council member? Right. So it actually includes all of Central Park. Uh, but the streets themselves is everything uh, between West 62nd Street and mm-hmm. West 96th Street from Central Park West to Riverside Drive. Uh, and then it's also, uh, it goes as far north as 110th Street west of Broadway and as far south as 54th Street west of 10th Avenue. Okay. And what, what, what is the job? What, what does a city council member do? What are you responsible for? What is it you're asking people to vote for you to do? Yeah. So city council is an incredibly important job here in New York City. It's basically the Congress of the city. And New York has, uh, a, you know, we've got 9 million people here. And our economy is this, New York City's economy alone is the size of Canada's. Mm-hmm. It's the size of Russia's. Right. So being elected to the New York City Council is an enormous responsibility. Not only will I be representing more than 200,000 New York City residents, but I, I will be, you know, partly responsible for an enormous part of the economy. When uh, you're walking around and, and I assume because you're, you're new to this arena, people m- may know you because they, they see you in their neighborhood Um, Maybe they know you because you were in a very um, well-known commercial. Uh, So they might recognize you from TV, um, which is great because they might not realize why they know you, but you seem familiar to them and you're adorable. So that's all useful. Um, But, but, you know, if you're literally knocking on a door, like let's say I owned a salon on, on Amsterdam between 64th and 63rd and you are trying to get the votes of as many people who live in your neighborhood to vote for you in this district. How do you begin a conversation with a stranger in your district that you're running for? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you my secret. Okay. Um, <laughs> I keep saying, I, I don't know how anyone does this right. without being an actor. Mm. Every, every skill I have ever picked up in my entire life, but especially my acting career, has has been essential uh, through through the last four months of this campaign. So your but, time at Carnegie Mellon has proven really so worthy. Valuable. So oh, so valuable. beyond beyond musicals, yeah. politics. Yeah, the, I mean, the most important skill as a politician, I believe, is listening, listening mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. And what I hear from almost everyone I talk to is that they don't feel listened to. And that's, that's true of arts workers, we, as we were getting left out of the conversation at every level of government. Yeah, but I hear from small business owners, too. Um, you know, I, I just spent the afternoon walking around the neighborhood, introducing myself to small business owners. And they, you know, I asked them what kind of help they've received from the city over the last year in this pandemic. And they say, help. The city just sends inspectors to write us fines. There's no help. 
And that's, that's not the kind of relationship the city should have with our small businesses. Yeah. And so I, I think it's going to be incumbent on the next city council member from this district to make sure their small businesses have everything they need. So as I begin these conversations, I, I introduce myself and I ask them, you know, I, I, I tell them up front, I know this has been a really difficult year for businesses in this neighborhood. How has it been for you? What have you experienced? And that's a pretty good way of getting anyone to open up. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same approach I take when I, when I call voters at night on the phone. I, you know, I spend every night calling as many voters as I can to introduce myself. And I, and I say the same thing. I know this has been a tough year. How have you been? And people, people really appreciate it because not, no, certainly the government's not asking that. Uh, and, and people don't get it enough in, in their personal lives. Just how, how are you? Because honestly, none of us are doing well right now, myself included. All, our mental health has suffered across the board. We're experiencing that. You, know, you, you walk down the street and you see it in people's eyes. You certainly see it on the subway. We're dealing with a mental health crisis. And that's, that, that's all of us. Uh, but we're starting to see it in, um, in these hate crimes. You know, most of, most of the attacks have been perpetrated by people who have long histories with the criminal justice system, who are dealing with severe mental health issues. They desperately need help. And it's the city's responsibility to make sure that we have the infrastructure in place so they can get that help. So that it doesn't end up in, uh, in some kind of act of violence on the street against a stranger. Yeah. So this election, we're talking, we're speaking today, it's April of 2021. The election happens in June? June 22nd. So how many people are running for this position? There are six candidates in the race um, and it's a very competitive race. Mm. I didn't know what would happen when we announced this campaign back in November. Right. It's my first time running for public office. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I'm running specifically on this arts message. We're going to revitalize the arts and culture sector of New York City, not only to get the arts workers back to work, but because it's an economic engine for the entire city. And New York City doesn't recover until the arts and culture sector recovers, because we're the reason people live here in New York, and we're the reason 65 million tourists visit New York every year, supporting our hotels and restaurants and retail, and contributing 40% of the city's sales tax. So th that's the that's the conversation I'm having yeah. with the voters. And when I talk about it, they say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it would be it would be really great to have it behooves some, us. Yeah. To yeah. have someone from the arts community in city government. Uh, Is there to, just one person in this position or do you share it with other people? Uh, yeah, so it, I, I'm running to represent District Six, and there's, and there's just one member for each of the each of the 51 districts. Got it. It's not a shared District Six position. Only one person can win. Exactly. So, as actors, we are used to being in rooms where, as much as we may love, be friends with, and have relationships with other people in the waiting room, we are used to handling competition. Mm -hmm and going up against people we respect for the same part. Um, how have you found, do you interact with other candidates? Are they playing nice? What is it like to be vulnerable and involved in, in a political campaign at this level? Yeah, uh, everyone, all of the candidates have been very nice and I've, I've gotten to know some of them fairly well. We've been at, on, on a number of forums together. Um, 
Yeah, everyone, everyone is very nice. Um, I so this year, New York City is using ranked choice voting for the first time ever, which means that instead of going into the ballot booth and voting for one candidate, you can rank up to five candidates by preference, which completely changes the electoral math and completely changes the way that candidates have to campaign. Because, you know, in 2013, for instance, which was the last competitive election um, for city council here, here on the Upper West, the the candidate who won, won with 27% of the vote. Hmm. Because it was a crowded field. Ranked choice voting requires the winner to receive more than 50%, a majority support. So you can't just turn out your base voters you have to talk to all of the voters. You can't write anyone off because if you're not their first choice, you need to be their second or their third choice. So with that in mind, I have partnered with another candidate in the race named Sarah Lind, who's another progressive. Um, She has a great vision for the city. She has some really smart policy ideas. We've gotten to know each other pretty well. And I will be asking my supporters to choose her for second. And she'll be asking her supporters to choose me for second. Uh, with the idea being that that's the way that that either she or I gets over 50% of the vote. Right. So you figured out a, a system for the new system, hopefully. Exactly. That exactly. Will, that and that, will work. That's just the reality. And so some people, some people have looked at that and, and said, oh, well, you know, why don't, why don't you just run your own campaign? It's like, well, this is the reality. Ranked choice voting requires a very different kind of campaigning and candidates can ignore they can ignore ranked choice voting at their own risk. I want to say that um, it is so inspiring to talk to you today uh, for you to use all of these um, talents that you have. And there are so many. And I certainly hope that whatever happens in your political career, and I hope it goes where you want it to go. Um, we also will miss you very much on stage and getting to see you <laughs> perform. Um, but I think what you're doing now is such incredible work. And I applaud you and I wish you tremendous success in your campaign. And whatever happens in this campaign, there will be more. I feel like the fire's been lit and you, you understand your calling, this deep, deep calling to be of service um, to so many, not just within your arts community, but all your constituents and all the people who vote for you. Uh, we'll be very lucky to have you representing them. It's an incredible thing. You're welcome. How do people find out more? How do they volunteer? We got to get this happening. We have two months to make this happen. Yes. Um, Tell us all the things. I keep saying we are going to win this by having more conversations with more voters than any other candidate. And we need an army of volunteers to do that. We had an amazing volunteer kickoff event last night. Uh, with special guests, uh, Philippa Sue from Hamilton and Carol Lindsay from Wicked and Newsies and Jackie Cox, who's a, a drag race superstar. Uh, but for you sitting at home listening to this, I need you to go to jeffreyomura.com and sign up to volunteer because we are going to be uh, calling voters every week. We're going to be knocking on doors every week. Uh, and that's how, that's how we win this. Well, you did it for Barack, and now we need to do it for you. It's only fair. You got us him. Now we got to get you you. Um, All right, Jeffrey, here's to continued conversations. Thank you for all you're doing, and um, I can't wait to be at your victory party. It's going to be really fun. 
Well, thank you. I hope we get to do it in person. I know. I know. Well, get vaccinated, people. And we can, and hopefully it'll be a gorgeous night and we'll do it, you know, I don't know, at the Delacorte Theater. Who knows? That might be, hey. did you start at the public theater? Wasn't that one of your first jobs? That, that was my first job in New York City at the public theater. It was a production of Romeo and Juliet with Oscar Isaac and Lauren Ambrose. Uh, and uh, our opening night party for that show, oh, four, 14 years ago, I believe, uh, was rained out. So maybe that's a great idea. We should Come have. Come on, <laughs> yes. Let's let's make a call. If anybody's yeah. listening, um, let's all gather at the Delacorte. Have a great rest of your day, and thank you for your time. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for you. One more thing. So many of you have asked, how do you donate to the podcast? Well, it could not be easier. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. Instructions are clearly laid out. And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Clark. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.